Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and I'm joined here by you and by Pastor Me. Jim Minling. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm I'm glad you're here as well. <laughs> I'm and I'm glad I'm here as well. <laughs> it, it's hard to talk to you when you're not here. Yeah, it is very difficult. <laughs> but uh yeah, so we're if if you're joining us in this podcast for the first time or maybe it's been a little while, just to remind you, this time is all about having discussions and talking about the word of God and specifically picking up the pieces that maybe got cut out of the sermon from Sunday because even in you know, a 40-minute a, a or 45-minute or however long a sermon is, even in that time, we're, there, there's so much more nuance. There's so much more beauty. There's so much more truth to appreciate yeah. in yes. the Word of God. And Amen. so we love to have conversations about it. We do. And especially because we believe that as we have these conversations, whether it's in a life group or, or in a setting like this one-on-one, that God will use this to form us into the image of Christ. We believe that. So, uh yes. Hopefully this is uh, achieving that end in you. And uh, we know I, you know, it's selfishly, I really enjoy these times <laughs> because I love asking questions. Is it selfish? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's self-gratifying. That doesn't mean it's selfish. Yeah, that's, that's a good distinction. <laughs> but um, and part of the reason I am excited to have this conversation is out of my love for questions. We're in a series, a new series oh out of Luke 6 questions. called Discipleship Questions. So could, could you tell us a little bit more about how did you land on that series idea? Where did that come from? Well, I was thinking about you, Clay. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was, you know, in Luke 6 and noticing that uh, Jesus had was moving from doing a lot of teaching to starting to ask questions. Mm. And of course I've, we've talked about this before and I'm, I'm a, a student of the questions of Jesus. So I'm, I tuned into that, but I'm like, huh, none of these questions are the kind of questions that make the typical list. Mm. You know, I mentioned that, that there's, I don't know, five or six books that I know of that the whole, the point of the book is, the, is reviewing the questions and examining, exploring the questions that Jesus asked. And if you read those books, I didn't read all of them, but if you read some of them, you, they, they look at the same questions again and again, which are great questions. Who do you mm -hmm. say that I am? Yeah. You know, it's like, well, come on, that's one of the yeah. phenomenal questions. And, uh, you know, um, what, you know, what do you think about this text or uh, who, what, what do you say? Or I'm trying to think of some other ones off the top of my head, but they're just, they're, they're classic Jesus questions and they show up in all the books. But then there are questions like the ones that I was noticing in Luke six, and I'm like, hmm, I don't, I don't ever remember seeing that in the Jesus questions books. Yeah. And at first glance, I was thinking, well, you know, you know, I don't know what, what there is to say about these questions. I had not yet decided to call it discipleship questions, but then I got thinking about, you know, the question below the question, but the question within the question. Yeah. And again, I, again, I appreciate the genius of Jesus. Because his questions, there's always layers to them. <laughs> and and as I said in one of the sermons, he, he, you think about his questions after you walk away. You're mm -hmm. like, oh, man, that's yeah. just like really getting to me. And I'm like, man, that, that's just the genius of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so then I got realizing, well, these are all addressed. Verse 20, it's, it looks 620, it says, looking at his disciples, he said, I thought, well, let's just, you know, just call these discipleship questions. Later on, I thought about calling it. Um, 
unusual discipleship questions or, you hmm. know, uh, <laughs> under the radar sure. discipleship questions or some adjective that, that sets these apart from the, you know, the, you know, the, the classic G- discipleship questions. Right. So, yeah, I'm excited for this series. Actually, if you um, look at Luke six, we've been in this sermon on the plain for quite some time, um, talking about blessings and woes, talking about loving enemies. Mm-hmm. And then now as we get into these discipleship questions, that's actually going to, I think it's going to take us to the end of the Sermon on the Plain, right? Yep. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to kind of, in retrospect, look back at the Sermon (laughs) on the Plain, because I mentioned this in my sermon two weeks ago, but, you know, Jesus wasn't stopping to discuss every point as he was, you know, this is not his sermon outline. This is just his sermon. Right. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time looking at it, but I'm excited to, yeah, uh, to, to get through it and to be able to appreciate it in its fullness. But as we're appreciating these questions that Jesus is, is asking, um, you, you know, you, you made the comment in the introduction of your sermon this week that Jesus asks over 300 questions mm. in the source of his, you know, in the course of his ministry, yeah. something he's known for all these books that are written about it. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about why, why is that so significant mm. that Jesus asked lots of questions and well, yeah, maybe we'll just start it, start there. So your question is, why is that so significant? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, why do you think it's so significant? Let's, let's, just, let's play along here. I well, what's one of the things that's that is so significant is he he asks so many more questions than he directly answers. The, one of the books that I read claims he only answered three questions. Yep, and so it's like wow. <laughs> um, yeah, and so honestly, Jesus is is unique. There's no one like him, but he's not unique in this. Mm. Uh, he wasn't the first rabbi uh, who used questions. It, in fact, it was a very, very normal, yeah. uh, typical rabbinic practice. And not only a rabbinic practice. I mean, the Greek philosopher Socrates is known for his teaching method of yeah. asking questions. Um, but I don't think that Jesus used questions because it was in vogue. I don't think he was influenced by Socrates. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm not trying to say that he's not unique in that way. I'm just trying to say he's not unique in that he's the only teacher who's ever used questions, you know, yeah. or who's the only teacher who ever majored on questions. Sure. No, he's not. But he used questions because there's, st- I told one guy, you know, questions are like the, the shovels that we use to dig into you know, the, the the soil to find things. Mm. Um, or you're digging for gold. You know, you know the, the the question is the shovel. Yeah. So when you use a, a question in the scriptures, it opens up the text there. So Jesus used questions to to people to introduce a a, a topic or to get them to think or to um, come at them in a different way. Because I can hear you, you make a statement and I can choose to be engaged or not. But when you ask me a question, I'm, <laughs> I, suddenly I'm engaged. Yeah. You know, I, I, I suppose I could ignore you. Sure. But it's just, it's a fantastic engagement tool. Yeah, yeah. And, and so not only because of the provocative nature of his stories, but because of the use of his questions, yes, the, this provocative stories, provocative statements, use of questions made Jesus the most engaging speaker, teacher, rabbi ever. Yes, uh, and we, we actually put on the screen 
um, you know, some reasons why Jesus used teaching, you know, to get people to think, to teach, to disciple, to um, build relationships. Uh, but I, I think his primary use was as a teacher and as a discipler to get in people's hearts and minds uh, to get them processing and thinking because Jesus was not ever teaching from mere information. He was Absolutely. always teaching for transformation. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, you know, it's easy to monologue as a teacher. It's yeah. easy to just and it, hear yourself talk. Yeah. And it's not, it's not always fun, you know, but it's, that's, that's sort of the easiest thing. I have the most control in that situation. I'm able to direct things. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and when you're, when your main goal is content, that, that can be a really effective way to do it yeah. is to, is to monologue. Yeah. But when your goal is not just to teach content, but to teach people, mm -hmm. this is, this is not something whenever I teach a class, when I'm introducing myself yeah. and my teaching style, I'll always say, I've got a lot of content to teach, but I'm more interested in teaching you yeah. than I am in teaching the content. Yeah. So if, if there's something that you want to go deeper into, yeah. the content can wait. Well, I can send you the notes. Ask a you question. Know? <laughs> um, and, and I, you know, Jesus, to, to me, that's, that's one of the things that these questions are revealing is Jesus's values, that he yeah. values people. Yeah. It's not that he doesn't that's, value content. It's great insight. But he's, he's, he's valuing the people. He's valuing yeah. the conversation. And you also brought up processing or uh in in the words of your sermon thinking about it later some it's a question you got to turn circle mm -hmm. back around to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know this is and you can kind of correct me if i'm wrong on this because I've, I've been told that when the rabbis were teaching they would use questions not just as a question and answer in the course of that teaching moment but to force people to turn around and be like man what was he what was yeah, he getting at absolutely with that? absolutely and in that and in that way i've heard that linked to meditation you know when we talk about meditating on mm -hmm. scripture it's this idea you're you're marinating it yeah it, but you're, you're you're muttering about it you're like what was it what was yeah. the deal with that? You know, what was going on? You're rolling it over in your mind. You're yes. rolling it over in your in your thoughts. And it's the same thing with a good question. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. And it's almost, you know, because one question that people will sometimes ask about the teaching method of Jesus has to do with what it's sometimes it seems like he's trying to be confusing you know yeah. when, when he's giving parables. Right. Does that do, <laughs> does this kind of teaching rabbinic teaching style help us to understand that more or yeah it does and, and this actually comes up in luke chapter 8 which we'll get into in the okay, fall cool. where jesus you know explains why he uses parables and he <laughs> says something really cryptic that can be misunderstood but uh for for now let's just suffice to say that the the, the nature of a parable i defined it su sunday as you know a story with a lesson but you could also say an, an engaging story with you know a a significant question. Yeah, uh, you could you expand it even further to to uh, to talk about it being an engaging, um, you know, teaching story because uh, he's he used these parables in a way that they not only introduced a topic that he wanted to talk about or got you thinking about it, but also got behind your defenses and disarmed you. Because you're hearing a wonderful story, like you know, the story of the, the Good Samaritan. What a great story. Wait, wait a minute. You just made the Samaritan a hero. You yeah. know, that's, that's, what, what are you doing? You know, so now it's turned, in, turned from a typical good story to now it's a provocative. I'm engaged. I'm agitated because mm -hmm. as a Jew, hearing this story, you're making the Samaritan a hero. It's just, it's just a small element of Jesus' storytelling of right. his parable 
that um, was just such an effective discipleship and you know, teaching tool. Yeah, and, and and that's I think a key point to make is that even though Jesus is not going for immediate understanding, that doesn't mean that his teaching is is ineffective, quote unquote. Well, I think he, yeah, okay, okay. I think he was going for. I wouldn't go as far as to say he wasn't going for immediate understanding, but he wasn't going for conclusive understanding. So yes, okay, you know, yeah, you're immediately better, grasping, mm. but then he, there's more to come. Yes, you know? yeah, because and 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 this is you know, good to grapple with because there are times when Jesus, and I think it, Luke 8 is one of the times where he says, you know, the, the hidden, you know, these, the things of the kingdom are hidden, but to you, they're revealed. Yeah. And, you know, we can, we'll, we'll find out what, you know, what does Jesus mean by that? But <laughs> certainly what he doesn't mean is I'm just not being effective as a teacher. Yeah. Uh, or I don't care about you. Exactly. I'll be clear to these people, but you know, to you, I don't care about you. Right. Right. Yeah. So there, you know, people resolve that tension differently, yeah. but you know, maybe that's a teaser. We'll talk more about it. <laughs> so when it comes to uh, the question for that's in this text specifically, you know, and we're in verse 39 and 40. Yep. And we read, uh, Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? So really, you, you remarked comically. This is the shortest parable. I heard you laugh. I did laugh. That was funny. <laughs> you laughed in the first service, but you didn't laugh in the second service. I, I had to, I was prepared. I was very focused. I was like, so the second service I was sitting with joy. I was like, I got to hold heard, it together. I've heard this one. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, that idea of course is in the question beneath the question that you got to is, man, who, who are you following and mm -hmm. how is that impacting your, your walk? Yeah. Um, and so when we think about th this idea of the blind leading the blind, one of the warnings you gave is just bringing our attention to, you know, do you realize that there are blind guides mm. today, just mm. as there were back in the first century? Yeah. That's a really, I, I remember actually sitting there thinking, you know, I'm a leader in a, in a spiritual sense in yeah. the church. I teach out of the Bible and we know that teachers will be judged more harshly, yes. right? Not many of you should James. aspire to be teachers. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, I have a, what I hope is a healthy fear Good. of God, Good. a healthy, um, you know, well, may you uh, always have that anxiety about teaching because I want to be checking myself against the text yes. and, and all these sorts of things. Yes. I like the phrase healthy fear, healthy mm -hmm. respect of the, of the office of teacher. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a, a, and so, you know, we, we invite people as you did on Sunday, be, be, uh, checking against scripture, the teaching that you're receiving, even yep. from me, even definitely, from you. Definitely. But you also mentioned, you know, how in our society, there's, there can be very popular teachers, but just, just their popularity does not demonstrate that they're, um, you know, successful or that they're trustworthy teachers. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some more insight into how can we tell, hmm. you know, what, what, what makes a trustworthy teacher mm -hmm. versus how do I identify a blind guide? Yeah. Well, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is, do they teach the truth? You know, that, that's that's the the biggest question, mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes teachers may come off as untrustworthy yeah. because they're overly provocative or because, you know, you're a prejudiced person and you don't like the way they present themselves. And so, you know, you're you're making some judgments about whether you think they're trustworthy or not on surface judgments. But the ultimate judgment is are they saying, are they speaking the truth? Um, and um, 
that's that's the measurement of whether a person is trustworthy uh, and whether their teaching is trustworthy. And of course, that's that's why we have to have discernment because uh, we know that the Bible teaches us in both the Old Testament and New Testament there are things called false prophets, uh, f- false shepherds, false teachers, both old and new. Mm-hmm. And then we see that in the in the, the in our life today, in our world today, there's there's false teaching. So therefore, since there is false teaching, and and there's also you know a true teaching, I, who who decides that? Right. You know, I, I'm not the the judge uh, overall, but as I'm listening, I am called to judge, to discern, to weigh, to measure. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, is that true? And then I make the judgment of whether that's a trustworthy teacher. Unfortunately, today people have lost so much of their ability to discern. I think I made a comment about because of biblical illiteracy that's mm-hmm. just so rampant in our in our country um but also in addition to that biblical illiteracy i think there's just um a a theological illiteracy and there is uh, a christian worldview illiteracy and people are becoming more and more influenced by the culture around them that they can't tell the difference between a biblical worldview and a non-biblical worldview. Yeah. Can I actually pause you right here? Yeah. Because I, you, you, in the second service, you talked about open door Christian schools. As a product of that, when you start talking about worldview language, I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, like, let's go. Yeah. But what do you, that may not be familiar language to people. So yeah. when you talk about a worldview sure. or a Christian worldview, what do you mean by that? Oh boy, that's a huge, that's a, <laughs> we, <laughs> big podcast right there. So everybody has a worldview, yes. and so yeah. the, the the first thing we want to do is is to realize that mm-hmm. and begin to go, okay, you know, what is the one I have right now, yeah. and so that I can compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. And then the the second thing we want to do is is ask the question: well, How does the Bible construct a worldview? What does the Bible say about you know what how right. I should look at the world? Mm-hmm. And so you know it's, it's these core questions about you know is there a God and if there is a God, what is that God like? Well, that's a it might be the most important worldview question. Mm-hmm. And you know for most of our culture, most of our society, no, they don't believe there's a God. Or if they, and this is what's most dangerous, they have caricatures of God. They have views of God that are unbiblical, that are completely <laughs> uh, manufactured from the culture of the day or from their own, you know, golden corral of teaching, you know, their smorgasbord yeah, of yeah. teaching. It's what the Bible calls, or not, it's what Christian teaching calls syncretism, where I syncretize good truth and error. Mm-hmm. And I put together uh, heresy right along with Christianity and blend it all together. Yeah. And um, uh, so I'm trying to discover, you know, is is there a God? And if there is a God, what is he like? Okay, that's the first thing. Well, because of what I believe about the Judeo-Christian view of God, what the Bible teaches about God, that now is going to set up how I view the world around me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, how I view people mm-hmm. and how I view my purpose in this world, um, how I view the, you know, the purpose of life. And so these core questions form you know, what your worldview is, because what's the most important things? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about people? What do you believe about the world? What do you believe about yourself? Yep. And 
Um, some people have like six core worldview questions. Some people have eight. Some people have yeah. four. I, I was taught four. Yeah. You know, why am I here? How did I get here? Where did I come from? How should I live? What happens when I die? Yep. That's what, that's can, a rubric of, of one of the rubrics of yeah. of describing that. And you, you, that's almost more of a sorting mechanism for yeah. distinguishing between worldviews. I, I still think it's helpful, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I, you know, we, we don't need to spend tons and tons of time on this. I just think it's helpful to, you know, there is a biblical way to think about the world. Mm -hmm. And there are many non-biblical ways to think about it. Oh, boy. It. Yeah, more and, than ever. And so I, I just think we, when, we, when we use worldview language, especially with reference to identifying blind guides, identifying false teachers, a lot of what that comes back to is this idea of Christian worldview, and and especially a synonym for that is biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, you Hopefully. talked about using the text to discern. Yeah. Um, well, and Paul warned us that these days would come when, yes. when people would lose discernment. They they would not be able to uh, oh, man. tell the difference. They would gather around yeah. themselves teachers that just you know are, scratch their itchy ears and. That kind of thing. That always that conversation always makes me think of the Ligonier Ministries study called the um, the State of Theology. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's this massive survey that they've done. You can find this online uh, if you, you just search up State of Theology. You can actually take the quiz and find out where you're at. <laughs> but it's this massive study where they are seeing that churched people have yeah. so many misunderstandings yeah. about essential yes. doctrines. Yes. You know, we're, we're not talking about yeah. pie in the sky, like, you know, easily debatable issues. We're talking about, is Jesus fully God and fully yeah. man? Yeah. It goes from the humorous <laughs> to the, you know, the, the, the extremely important. Yeah. The humorous ones are, uh, you know, people who think that the bill of rights is in the Bible. Or, yeah. <laughs> or, yes. Or, or, uh, or, well, you know, what, there's some other funny ones that you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you, you didn't know that. Mm -hmm. and, and and all that reveals is that that while the Judeo-Christian worldview that shaped, you know, the education of our country, that shaped the, um, the, the um, you know, the government, the, the way our government was designed, um, you know, a lot of people talk about us having being a Christian nation. Mm. No, we're, we, we were never a Christian nation, but we did have Judeo-Christian worldview that dominated the thinking yeah. of our founding fathers. Right. And there's a difference between those two. Yes. And I, I think we need to make that difference. And so, you know, that, that Judeo-Christian worldview shaped the thinking like every worldview shapes the thinking. And so as that has fallen on hard times, as that has slowly been eradicated from our, our school systems and from families and from government, um, then we were yielding the product of a years of that where you are raising whole generations that have no idea of what do you even mean by Judeo-Christian worldview. Yeah. And they, they don't know basic biblical content. And uh, we're not talking about knowing the Bible for knowing the Bible's sake. Or we're not saying that if you know the Bible, that makes you better. We're just saying that knowing the Bible helps inform your worldview. Right. And that is what really matters. Yeah. And, and nor are we saying that everyone needs to be a top-notch scholar when it comes to And we'll, we can talk more about that. Sure. But, you know, it's, it's not about, you know, you need to have a really high IQ so that you can know all the right things so that you can become a better person. It's just more about recognizing this is, this is a part of being human yeah. is that we are, we're, we're trying to make sense of things. And when you do that, apart from the scriptures, 
it, it makes it really difficult to discern. And, and let's just get really, really practical. So instead of like the abortion debate mm-hmm. being about, well, whose rights are being violated is the mothers or the chi- or the children, the, the child's. You know, if, when you have a biblical worldview, you're not concerned about whose rights are being. And that's not the first. You know, I shouldn't say you're not concerned. Isn't the first question? Yeah. You know, the, the first question is who is this per this being? Who what, who is this? Yeah. And the, the answer in the Bible is it is a person made in the image of God. That's a biblical worldview statement, and that statement informs. Everything else. Exactly. And that's where we yeah. are at odds because right. there are so few people in the public square who have that biblical worldview. They think, they see um, that human being as a bunch of tissue, or as mm-hmm. a, you know, it's just a, it's a mass of tissue. And it's, yeah. you know, and so how are those two people going to be able to talk in a way that's inter- interactive? They're, they're coming, they're calling it something com- completely different. Right. So, you know, issue after issue after issue, the whole LGBTQ thing all starts with what's your biblical, what's your worldview? Mm-hmm. And if you see, you know, people as being defined by however they want to define themselves versus how their creator, if there is a creator, defines yeah. them, it changes the whole conversation. Yeah. Who has authority to who has authority? speak who, identity into a person? Exactly. Yeah. And so these are not... You know, esoteric questions. These are not uh, uh, questions of academia. Yes. These questions, the rubber hits the road questions. Absolutely. Yes. I, part of the benefit of studying worldview is that it helps you to see how what you propositionally believe, mm-hmm. what you believe to be true, bears itself out in yeah. how you live. That's exactly right. Because what you think is true influences what you value, and what you value influences how you act. Sometimes it's called the worldview triangle. Yep. And that it works both ways. You can look at what am I doing? What is my present practice? And you can use that to discern what's really valuable to me. Yep. And what does that say about what I actually think? What Jesus' way of saying that was by your fruit, by your, we'll know you. Yes. That, <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll hear more about that on Sunday. You know? um, In two Sundays. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. But um, so when we're when we're talking about all these things, another thing I wanted to bring up, just as we're we're thinking about you know false teaching, because in the New Testament, you know they were not shy about calling out false teaching. <laughs> However, I want to I want to ask some questions, and maybe we can use an, an example to do that. You know, these days we've we've mentioned uh, the controversy surrounding Alistair Begg before on the on, on the podcast right. and what you're seeing a, a lot of people do especially on you know some in some conservative circles is they're calling out Alistair Begg yeah. as a false teacher <laughs> these sorts of things a lot of times they're doing it uh-huh. as charitably as possible where they're saying hey we really like a yeah. lot of things about him but you know he's crossed a lot whatever it is yeah. what do you what do you think about <laughs> You know, and we don't, again, it's not the specifics of the issue, but what do you think about that practice of I'm going to go on social media or I'm going to go on YouTube and make a video or I'm going to get in a podcast and we're going to throw stones at somebody? Mm. Is that falling into the same habit of the New Testament church of calling out false teaching in a helpful way or is that something else? How should we think about this? It's such a good question. It it touches on actually this text as well. What it's it's the answer to this question, or at least the way I'm going to answer it. <laughs> Maybe not the answer, but my first knee jerk reaction is the answer to this question fits in with this whole idea. Of what does it mean to be blind? Mm-hmm. Um, when Jesus calls them blind leaders, because you know we said a couple of weeks ago that we are made 
Literally, we're made to judge, to discern, to decide, to yes. weigh information. To It's the only way that we can function in society, and, and even at the basics, is, is to make decisions, and we make those decisions by judging and discerning. So that's the core of who we are. Now becomes the question, when does judging become judgmental? Mm. And that's one of the distinctions we tried to make in that sermon was that judgmentalism is when you take the the the, the purpose for why you are, or, or the abilities you have in creation that God created you to do to create to judge and you elevate that to this status of you know I'm the arbiter of right and wrong I, I'm going to you know judge you without context or I'm going to judge you unfairly or I'm going to uh, judge you hypocritically and I'm going to judge you wrongly and all the different ways that means now I've I've taken my God-given judgment abilities and I've misused them, which is almost the story of humanity. You know, so many things that, that humans do, God gave them the ability to do, yeah. but they misuse. That, yeah. That's a great definition for sin. It's, yeah, this, it is. it's this twisting of what God gave. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just name issue after issue after issue after issue. Yep. Well, God gave us the ability to do that. Yep. And we and it got twisted and distorted and we misused it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as I'm exercising my ability to, to discern and to judge, well, then why can't I call out every false teacher? Aren't I just judging? Aren't yeah. I just, you know, doing what I'm supposed isn't to do? Isn't that what Paul did? You know, right. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and isn't that what Jesus did when he, you know, called out all these false teachers? Yeah. And, um, and I, I get that. I, I, I can see how they use those scriptures to back up why they should go, you know, calling everybody out. Um, and the, the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus, I, I can't find a place where Jesus calls out someone's sin uh, in, in some of the favorite sinning categories. He usually reserves that calling out for false teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just say that to get that going. But then the, the core of the question is to judge false teaching. How do we know when when uh, we should judge? How do we know when Jesus is judging false teaching appropriately? And I think we, one of the ways I would look at it is is to measure the effect of their teaching. Mm. Is what they're teaching insignificant? Then let it slide. I mean, it's not, there's, there, Jesus could have judged everything that anybody ever said. Yeah. You know, well, that's not right, Peter. That's not right, James. You know, everything anybody said, he could have said, that's not right. So <laughs> clearly Jesus didn't do that. So he let things slide left and right. Sure. And he judged it, it seems to me, based upon the impact the, 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 of that teaching. The, the, um... so, yeah, I've got an example, actually. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, recently, I, or maybe not so recently, but I was teaching about when Jesus was in Nazareth. And he was giving his first sermon mm-hmm. earlier in, in Luke. And at one of the services, I accidentally said that Jesus was born in Nazareth, which he wasn't. He right. was born in Bethlehem. <laughs> but you notice the following week, you didn't take the platform and say, unfortunately, we, we need to take some corrective action. <laughs> you know, that, that would have been a way overkill. You know, it's, I was factually wrong. I was a false teacher in that moment. Yes, we, we, but, we really love Clay, but he's no longer on staff. He, yeah. He, he said something that's not factually <laughs> true. So we've exposed him as a false teacher. He, he, Good to see him go. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we can we can recognize like there there are times when hey you know that 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 was a mistake. It was right. maybe it was an honest mistake, or yeah. maybe it was you know we disagree about this. Or or, but, or let's say it was something that you know that it, that's what that might be easy to disprove, but something that sure. you believed that you know 
uh, I, I, I feel strongly against, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that's a bad, that's a bad example, but it's just something that's, that's, it's insignificant. Why call out something that's insignificant? Sure. Well, that's what these Pharisees did. Jesus talked about mm. you swallow a camel and you strain out a gnat. Another little bit of humor from Jesus. <laughs> What's he saying? You guys are focusing on the things that aren't important. Really? You, you're going to talk about a gnat? That's insignificant. And But then you're blind and you swallow a whole camel. And so let's talk about your teaching. You, you, you focus on things that are insignificant and make a big deal out of them. And you miss. Well, for example, Matthew 23, 23 is a great example. Uh, Jesus is talking about the, talking to these Pharisees about tithing. And he says, you guys tithe on mint and cumin and dill, all these small herbs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's insignificant. That's that's tithing on those things is not an important thing. But Jesus doesn't say it's insignificant. He says you should con- continue to do those things, but don't ignore the the more important things like mm-hmm. justice and mercy. Yeah. You know, and so uh, you, the, the the tithing on the cumin and the dill and the mint, that's a, that's a gnat. Justice, mercy, kind of, uh, kindness, these things are camels. Yeah, you know, setting up unnecessary barriers for people to come and worship. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I so I think when I'm weighing whether or not I want to call out a false teacher, I want to ask myself, is this a gnat or is this a camel? Mm-hmm. Is it something that's worth focusing on or, or not? Yeah. And and honestly, I think that you know, I'm gonna glump all these people together. These people who are making a mountain out of a molehill these people who are making a really big deal out of Alistair Begg's pastoral counsel to a one particular person uh, in, a, in a particular context, I think they're making a mountain out of a molehill. They're making, they're turning a gnat into a, a camel. Yeah. And and that's why I think they're wrong in, in all the emphasis they're making against Alistair. I have no problem with them dis- disagreeing with him. Because I, I said in a sermon, I, I don't think there is a right and wrong answer to, you know, whether or not a person should go to the wedding of an LGBTQ person. Sure. And I, when I talked about it, I didn't uh, cast it in terms of right versus wrong. I cast it in, the, and I meant to, in terms of what does it look like to love this person well? And because I think loving is more important than being right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think, I'm not trying to say that being right is not important. I'm not trying to say that being wrong is insignificant. I'm right. just saying that, that you know, if, if being right and wrong is here, loving is even more important. That's what Jesus called us to do. I, I think truth is very important. Being right is very important. But who cares if I'm right about a gnat and I fail to love well, you know? Sure. And swallow a camel. So yeah, it's, it, you want to contextualize it to trying to live a Christ-like life. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's yes. the same thing if, you know, when I'm talking with someone and discipling them, there are times where there are discipleship issues that need to be addressed. And corrected, yeah. But to sit the person down and say, now that you've come to Christ, I've got a list that I've made. Yeah. And it's time Let's to... Let's go through it. <laughs> yeah. like you know, It needs to be contextualized to process. We're growing together. We're, mm. we're moving in a direction. And yeah, there, there's going to be a time where we're going to address that. But uh, it, it doesn't all need to be right now, you yeah. know, with with all this abundance of heaping it on and clarity. And, and you know, back to the Alistair Begg issue, I have no problem with a person saying, um, I don't want to go to the wedding because I feel it makes a theological statement 
that um, you know that this is a legitimate wedding when mm. really it's not because it's between two boys or two girls or it's you know it's marriage is between a man and a woman. So I don't want to go to the wedding because it 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 legitimizes or it because it it um, it goes crosshairs against the definition of what a biblical marriage is. Okay. Great. That's a great argument. Um, I can see where you're coming from, and I can agree with you. But to, for you to now then put that upon everybody else and say, and because that's my rubric, because that's where I came from, everybody else should do that. Yeah. And if you don't, I'm going to call you out. Yeah, it's That's I, where it's crossed the line, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, like as I've wrestled with the issue, it, it does remind me. Because you can make some similar arguments about buying meat sacrificed to idols. Mm-hmm. I can't buy that because do you understand what those people are doing? It, you know, me buying that, me engaging with that, I just can't imagine myself doing that. Paul, I think Paul would say, hey, great. Then don't. <laughs> you shouldn't do it. And yeah. actually, if you do, if you do it you. against your conscience, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. But for the person who's unbothered by it, you know, and that's why, and I don't, I don't think, you know, we're going to. Pro, you know, potentially talk more about feelings and discernment, but I, I don't want to make the impression that it's all about just how I feel about it subjectively. There are objective issues oh, at sure. play. Oh, sure. But, uh, you know, the Bible does give guidance and give examples of times where you can make the argument either way. And, and in those moments when it's these issues that are more gnats than camels, mm. there's discernment that can take place and you should pay attention to your conscience. Yes. Um, and that's, that's yeah. great. That yeah. means believers can disagree on some issues. Some people are going to think it's sin. Some people are going to think it's not. Yeah. Um, this might just be one of those issues. That, that's kind of where I've landed personally. That's more an issue of discernment. Well, remember that place where Jesus says, you know, you travel across the seas to make a convert and then you make them twice the sons of hell that you are? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa, Jesus. Yeah. Um, or the time where he says, um, oh, shoot, I just lost the, my train of thought. Um, yeah, I was, I was enjoying the, the, that laughter so much. Well, let's just talk <laughs> about that one. You know, he, he's, he's saying that you guys are focused on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're so focused on trying to get people to do the right thing, what you think is the right thing that you don't know how to love them, that you've, you're misrepresenting God. So yeah, you're leading them into a pit. You're leading them a pit. Mm-hmm. And because everybody in Jesus's culture saw them as, you know, the arbiters of right and wrong, you know, they're the most godly, they're the most right, they're the most, the biggest experts, you know, uh, that influence calls for them to be judged more highly, just like you quoted earlier from James. Teachers will be judged by a higher standard, yeah. more strictly, more harshly. So these are the teachers of Israel. Mm-hmm. These are the influencers of Israel. So, um, uh, and, and that is why there have been times I have called some people out because, you know, their level of influence is so strong and, yes. and it's misleading about a, yeah. a significant area that um, I will kind of break character for myself, so to speak, and call them out. I think um, that's a really important point. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, I I'm really hesitant to specifically call out a false teacher by name. I am too. Part of the reason is because, well, part of the reason is because I think there's a high threshold for calling someone out by name. Another part of the reason is because. <clears throat> 
proximity matters to me in these questions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm called to be a shepherd of the flock of Church of the Open Door. And so if there's a false teacher that I find out is being passed around at Church of the Open Door. That's a whole different matter. I'm a lot more likely to say, whoa, hold on now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't do that. <laughs> we need to address that because it's he's that that influence is beginning to be exercised in the flock where I'm responsible. Yeah, like I heard of a heretic the other day who was teaching that Jesus was born in Nazareth. Unbelievable. But as soon as I find out that guy, he's out of here. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's comical, but you know, of course. But if we if we found out someone on the West Coast or someone over in England that's oh. you know you and I happen to know about because we're more in tune <clears throat> with what's going on, or or you know maybe we're not, but it, like just calling them out for the sake of calling them out, I think goes beyond the call of duty. It's become a pastime. Yes, and that's sad to me. It, it's sad to me as well because it's it's yeah. you're emphasizing the disunity of the church, oh. and so I think you need to be we need to be careful about that. Yes, but proximity, you know, proximity does matter, and yep. so there are times where it needs to elevate to that point. Yeah, yep. but it's just we shouldn't be quick to do it. Uh, that's that's my yep. kind of. I, I agree with you. So when, when we're in that, um, when we're when we're talking about discernment, we're talking about recognizing false teachers. One one of the comments that you made is that. You're sort of begging the question beneath the question, which is, who are you following? Mm -hmm. And you made the comment that uh, many, many people are following themselves and specifically their feelings, mm, that yeah. that is what's driving them. Yeah. And I think that you're so right. There are, you know, there's a book that was published in like 2020, I think, called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Oh, it's a fireman, an entire What's that guy's name? Truman. Truman, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's basically the whole book is looking at how did we get to the point where we're at today when how I feel becomes the truth about me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's terrifying. I've only read the first couple chapters yeah. and it is terrifyingly true. Yeah. So with that being the case, we have this complicated relationship with our feelings. How do we know when... Mm, wow when we're being influenced by our feelings, how, how can we tell that? Yeah. And, and how, how, how do you compare proper discernment that's informed by the scriptures that's led by the spirit yeah. on the one hand versus just a, a pet project of mine or something that's offended me or yeah. something that's got my feelings all riled up? Well, uh, you've already alluded to the answer. I think I said in the sermon that we, we wanted to have a spirit-inspired, in, scripture-informed, mm -hmm. some, some, something like that. It was, I, I shut it off the cuff. So yeah. I, it's not, it's not, it wasn't in my manuscript. <laughs> um, but that's part of the answer is mm -hmm. that um, I won't be able to have the kind of objectivity that enables me to stand back and judge myself and to recognize whether or not I am being led by my feelings, if I'm not biblically informed. Uh, that's part of the reason why I want to be a student of Scripture, because Scripture shapes my imagination, it shapes my thinking, it shapes my judging, it shapes my discerning. These are all the things that it shapes, and so it equips me to rightly divide. It, it equips me to discern. So if I'm, if I'm ignorant of the Scriptures... And I don't mean just knowing Bible verses, but I mean, you know, living in the Bible, letting the Bible affect my life, then I have handicapped myself to be able to be an effective, objective judge of whether I'm being led by my feelings or whether I'm uh, just being emotional. And yeah. so I, I think that's the, my 
my first knee-jerk and biggest answer. But there's more than that. Uh, this, this is why we need to sit under the preaching and the teaching of the Word, is that not only is that biblical teaching and preaching being uh, used to equip us, to shape us, but the Holy Spirit is especially present in those moments of teaching and preaching the Bible, that he will sometimes use those moments to convict us, to point out, you thought that you were, you know, being led by, you know, wisdom. You're actually being led by your feelings. I've seen the Holy Spirit do that. And even sometimes, this is so funny, in spite of what I might be saying <laughs> as a preacher. Why? Well, because preaching is an anointed, God-ordained thing. And Paul calls it the foolishness you know, of preaching, but yeah. God does something in preaching. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he does when it, when it's preaching of his word is it feels like it, it, it frees the Holy Spirit to speak more clearly. Yeah. Again, even if he's not speaking through that particular message, you know, that's just the, the kind of the, the realm of the Holy Spirit. So I'm able to develop judging apparatus by letting it be shaped by scripture um, I need to sit under the preaching and the teaching of the word so that the thoughts and motives of my heart can be judged mm-hmm. through the preaching and the teaching. Uh, this is one of the reasons why life groups, I think, are just so important. Is as, as I'm discussing something, again, the Holy Spirit's present in the, in the community. He's present in a different kind of way amongst his yeah. people. And so as you and I and three or four other people are chatting, you say something that to, to Tom over here is... Not that big of a deal, but the Holy Spirit takes what you said and just cuts my heart, to use Paul Peter's language in Acts 2.38, pricks my heart. It cuts me to the core. Yeah. What's going on there? Well, that's because Clay you know, is such an anointed, you know, powerful person. No, the Holy Spirit, you may be, but it's the Holy Spirit no, yeah. who yeah. dwells in his people and, and shows up and, in ways that are so beautiful and so powerful. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why we need each other. Yes. And so you, you got, there's a couple reasons right there of, of how I uh, can judge whether or not I am being led by my feelings or whether I'm being schnookered or whether I'm actually, you know, uh, on the right path, but it's just an emotional path. Yes. What's so funny? You said schnookered. Schnookered. That is what's so funny. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, you know, I've. <laughs> I struggle with this because I, but, but I think the, what you're providing is so clear when I'm thinking through something, whether, whether I'm getting ready to teach or whether I'm trying to make a difficult decision, checking it against the word, asking myself, mm-hmm. man, how, does, do the scriptures speak to this? Mm-hmm. And if they don't speak to it directly, all right, well, what are, what are the relevant issues? Yep. And am I, am I thinking clearly about this? And then I think spending that time in prayer, I think there's a reason that prayer and fasting can come together during the decision-making process, because in that you're trying to uh, die to yourself. You're trying to exercise some self-control and intentionally put yourself before God and say, God, I want to, I want to hear you. I want to see you clearly. And let's pause there because for someone who might be like, well, how do I do that? Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 Mm. is where you go where David says, search my heart and see if there's any wicked, wicked, wayward, schnookered way <laughs> within me. 
um, yeah. you know, and lead me in the way everlasting. So it's such a great prayer to memorize yes. and to regularly pray. You, and you, you, you pray that prayer, open the scriptures right up to it and, and then pause and say, you know, point it out, God, don't, yeah. don't, don't pray it mm-hmm. and don't meditate. I'm sorry. Don't read it and just move on, yeah. pray it and slow down, pause and uh, cause honestly, the, the, you know, it says in Jeremiah seventeen nine that the heart is exceedingly wicked and deceitful. So I can deceive myself even in my praying, you know, yeah. God, you know, is, you know, is there anything in me that you don't want to see? Okay, let's go. You know, I move on, you know, I said the words, you know, right. and I can say those words and, and not, you know, be open to God. But if I'm sincere, I, I'm going to pray that sincerely and I'll expect him to speak to me. Yeah. I'll give him space to speak. And I think God can be trusted to point out the sin that needs to be pointed out in our life. Right. That and and also, I, I don't know if unfortunately is the right word, but realistically, this is a skill. Learning to hear God, learning to Absolutely. discern his voice, because it, it can still feel very subjective. Okay, so you're telling me to pray and then listen to God. How do I know that it's God speaking versus my own feelings? Sure. Fair question. Yep. Unfortunately, you, it takes time. Yeah. <laughs> you it, know, it takes practice. It takes practice. And time. so, yeah. um, you know, being, being a person who is a person of the word, a person of prayer, being a person who is consistently listening for God's influence, that helps you to learn God's voice definitely, so that you can discern, you know what, that is, that is my feelings. I know myself well enough. I know God well enough. He's, I I recognize he's pointing that out. But when you're, when you're not regularly doing Mm -hmm. that, and then you say all of a sudden, I need some discernment on this issue, that can be really difficult and very difficult to discern. And, and so and if you're in training, in the early days of training, in the meantime, surround yourself with godly people. Yes. Uh, seek the wisdom yeah. of others. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a stopgap. You don't have to say, well, until I learn to discern, until I fill my mind with scripture, I guess I'm kind of on my own. No, you're not. No, you're not. That, that's when you yeah. lean into the, the wisdom of godly, seasoned, you know, biblically saturated people. Right. Yeah. And there there are lots of tools that I've learned to use to like dis- to discern in myself, man, is that a behavior that I should continue with? You know, it's, but uh, a lot of times, you know, when it comes to, I, I deal with this a lot as I'm counseling people, discipling people. And it's just so often that we will try to justify something that we feel really strongly about. <laughs> oh yeah. I see it all the time with people wanting to move in together or <laughs> in relationships, yep. just moving too far or moving too quickly or moving in, an, in a way that's just Yep. Either not wise or outright, outright sinful. It's like God did not tell you to do that because that goes contrary to His character. Right, and it's those are hard conversations to have because they, you can feel so sure. Yeah. No, God wants me to move in with that person. God oh, wants yeah. me to do oh. this, and the reason you know I know that it's true because it makes me feel so right. good. And it's right. like it's so hard to argue in those moments because mm. you're like, I, I understand it feels so right. It, you feel so strongly about this. You wonder how could this ever be wrong? <laughs> and unfortunately, time and time again, you see the, the consequences in the long run. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're as, as pastors, we don't advise people, Hey, please don't do that because we think it's fun. <laughs> I would much rather tell people, yeah, do whatever you want. You know, right. I want to be a people pleaser, <laughs> but, but I, 
am tasked, <clears throat> tasked with representing God, representing his word. Yes. And the point of the word is not so you can have fun all the time or feel good all the time. The point is so that you can walk in ways that lead to flourishing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Honor God with your life. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging yes. to, to practice that discernment, but being aware of it helps so Definitely. much. Definitely. So, um, yeah, we've got we've got some time left to to ask some more questions. Good. We're not quite done. Yeah, you know when we talk about discernment as a skill, when we talk about listening to God as a skill, uh, and, and learning to hear His voice as something that gets developed, uh, that reminds me of another main emphasis in your sermon, which is getting into verse forty. When a student is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. Right, right. And along those lines, you compared and contrasted different perspectives on discipleship. You know, one person might talk about discipleship as strictly as scholarship. You know, it's a caricature. All I all I need to do is learn the right answers, learn all the right truths, and then that's that's what it means to follow Jesus. And we want, what you said in sermon is no, that's not all that it is. Right. It includes scholarship, but you know, Jesus is using a term that would have more directly brought to mind an apprenticeship. Right, right. And in an apprenticeship, you're learning skills, not just a body of knowledge. Right. As you think about um, spiritual formation or discipleship and thinking about it in terms of apprenticeship, what sort of, you know, we've talked about discernment and hearing the voice of God is one skill or practice that you can learn. What are some other skills that help us to become more like Jesus? Yeah, this is a, this is a classic cutting room floor. You know, there's just so many things we could have said, you know, here. <laughs> yeah. uh, because, you know, if once you bring up the, the topic of apprenticeship and skills, you know, then it begs the question, well, what, mm -hmm. what are some of those? Yeah. So um, I, <clears throat> I once made a list of, I don't know why, I, I, I made 53. 53 skills every disciple should learn. Um, and uh, I could bring that list up, I suppose. But I also preached a sermon once about the top 10 skills that mm. uh, I thought every disciple needs to learn. So, you know, there's there's skills like, you know, how to study the Bible, you know, how to pray, um, how to pray for a particular person, how to share your faith, um, how to persevere during trial. Um, how to discern the will of God, um, you know, um, um, how to, um, uh, you know, how to, how to construct a worldview, you know, mm -hmm. um, these are all, these, there's, there's tons of these kinds of skills that, that you can teach someone how to do it. And yeah. it's not just a body of knowledge. It's, you know, how do I go about doing this? So, you know, for instance, the, how do I study the Bible? There's a whole a science called hermeneutics, you know, that teaches you how to interpret the scripture. And there's, there's literally, you know, rules that you can mm -hmm. follow. There are skills that you can learn and employ. Yep. And then you do those as, as a part of the practice. It's, it's, and then the, the nuances of that is there's an art to it as well. So there's yeah. a science and there's an art and that's mm -hmm. what an apprentice can learn as they're being taught is yes. okay. I I learn these rules, and now once I know these rules of interpretation, now I begin to to move into some of the art of it, and I keep these balanced, and I learn how to study the Bible. I, yeah, and especially when it comes to the art side of things, the reason I love that we call it the art and science of hermeneutics 
is because there are you know, an art is not something you can pick up from a textbook. An art is something you have to observe in a person. And yeah. I believe this is part of the beauty of the incarnation yeah. is that God recognized oh, man. What, so what it means to be like him cannot be communicated just in black and white print. Amen. It needs to be so visualized. Good. And so when, like something like discernment, discernment can be an art and a science. Oh, yeah. You know, and so... I have learned so much from the mentors that God has placed into my life. Mm -hmm. Man, what would Jesus do in this instance? Well, by his grace, he gives us the body of Christ yep. so we can observe it. Yep. So I'm a huge fan of <laughs> spiritual disciplines and also, you know, apprenticeship in discipleship. Yeah. Mo modeling is such an important element. Yep. So or do you want to pick up well, on that? Well, like, like mm -hmm. Paul says, follow me, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as yes. I follow Christ. Yes. That's not an arrogant Follow me because I'm something special. Yeah. Follow me because I'll teach you a way of life. Yeah. Uh, follow me because I'll show you how. Right. Uh, um, I can teach you content, and I'm good at that. You know, I'm the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. I wrote a lot of the Bible. <laughs> right. But what I, I'm wanting you to do is watch the way I live. And he says this to Timothy as well. Um, literally uses the phrase, follow my way of life. Uh, learn from me. Some very similar language that, that Jesus used. Yeah. And what Paul is talking about there is this apprenticeship, this kind of discipleship and mentoring that is life on life. Mm -hmm. And I'm teaching you not only intentionally, but teaching you as you just watch me deal with this or that, because we're hanging out together and, um, and you learn by watching your mentor. That's what Paul's doing with Timothy. And that's why he says things like, follow me as I follow Christ, watch right. my life. Imi he uses that word imitate, you know, <laughs> uh, imitate my yeah. way of life. That's all apprenticeship language. You know, and so let's break this down to, you know, learning uh, a, a skill. You know, in those days, the skill of blacksmithing. You know, sure. every every community uh, that had uh, horses uh, had a, a blacksmith to create horseshoes. Every community that that, had, that was had, that did any kind of farming, they had a blacksmith to make uh, utensils, farming you know utensils. So every, almost every community had a blacksmith, and uh, there's, there's, you know, a, a, there's ways of heating up the, the cre creating a fire that gets hot, heating it up, stoking it, when to, what kind of metal to use, you know, how to put all this together. These are all, you know, repeatable, you know, identifiable, repeatable skills that you can gain and then put into practice and learn. And just like there's those kinds of, of incremental steps and those kind of measurable and repeatable and learnable steps in blacksmithing, there is the same thing is true in yeah. interpreting the Bible and other discipleship skills. So if you were a disciple of Jesus in those days, just for example, following Jesus, what sort of skills would you have seen in Jesus oh that you would pick up on? Yeah. Just to, cause, because in the, in the life group questions you asked, what's a skill that you might like to learn from someone yeah. who's, a, who's a disciple of Jesus, who's farther along than you? But can, no, like, it, let's think of examples. Yeah, of, super. The, the first yeah. things that come to my mind uh, is, is Jesus' awareness of people. Mm. He seems to see people that nobody else sees. Yeah. You know, the beggar. Everybody has tuned out the beggar. Jesus sees him. Um, he, he pays attention to people. Yep. Okay, let's just stop right there. Okay. I can learn to do that. Uh, that's a skill. Uh, you know, first of all, just n knowing that Jesus thinks that's important and that, you know, is all, is all by itself important. So like, I need to start paying attention, but 
but that right there, paying attention is good, yeah, but I, I can that. go beyond that. I can begin to, to just kind of you know, slow down and look at people, slow down and listen to people and slow down and pay attention. And, you know, I, I have a, a book that I just brought from home uh, uh, called Unnoticing. Hmm. And uh, I picked it up at a used bookstore because I just was fascinated by the title. Title, and, and it's also because there was a time in my life that I was I was writing the um, off road discipleship retreat. Ah, yes. And I was teaching people about um, how Jesus literally says to his disciples, "Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers in the field." And the word "look" that he uses <laughs> is an intensive word. Yeah. And of all things. There's like three or four different words that he could have used to 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 say look. One is just a simple word blepo, just means mm-hmm. to know, see something. Another one is is anablepo, which means to to um, notice the occurrence of something. And then you move into this this word kata mantaro, mm. which is the mantaro is is to learn, which is comes from mathetes. Yeah. And so kata mantaro is look in order to learn, observe in order to learn. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So there's a way of of seeing, but not really seeing. There's a way of noticing, but it just kind of blows by. And then there's a way of slowing down and extracting a lesson as I look. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Look yeah. at the birds. Look at the fields. There's a lesson that you can learn there. So that's a skill that I can learn how to look in a way to learn something. Yes. And that's what Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 6. And that's one of the first skills that comes to my mind as I'm, you know, thinking about yeah, it, yeah. is, you know, noticing people. Um, uh, so then moving beyond that, because Jesus was very, I, I read a book one time that I just loved by a guy named Mike Mason. And it's a, and the reason why I love it is because it's a play on a familiar phrase. The, the, the book is called Practicing the Presence of People. Ah, and it's a play on yeah. what? Practicing the Presence of God by exactly. Brother Lawrence. Exactly. And yeah. so a lot of people know the name of that book. And so mm-hmm. Mike Mason, you know, titled it this way to play on that. But I think that's a great way of describing Jesus. Yes. Um, he not only noticed people, that's the first thing I mentioned, but now you know, he, the way he loved people, he yeah. he celebrated people. And that is the same kind of thing as slowing down to notice. But now I'm I'm listening not just to honor them, but I'm also listening for content and I'm valuing them because when you listen to someone, you value them. Mm-hmm. Well, I can learn how to listen. That's a skill yeah. that can be taught and can be learned. Sure. So you know, we, we just keep breaking this down into these bite-sized skills that all add up to, you know, things that we watch Jesus do. He saw people, he loved people, he paid attention to them, he listened to them. Um, uh, he, um, he, he, he had compassion for people. Mm-hmm. And so I can learn to be compassionate. That's yeah. a skill that I can learn. Um, and, and anytime I come to a skill that seems to be hard to learn, like for instance, compassion, you know, well, I don't feel compassion. Uh, then how can I learn it? Well, then you can ask God, God, would you give me a, a, a heart of compassion? Yeah. Okay, that's a skill. You can also practice compassion. You, you know? can practice compassion. And C.S. Lewis famously writes, don't bother about whether or not you love your neighbor. Go ahead and start loving him. Act as if you do, and you'll presently find yourself beginning to love him. You know, that's, that's exactly right. Um, as part of what I was trying to say towards the end of the sermon, you know, uh, actually loving a specific person 
is one of the most fantastic ways to yes. learn how to love. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and, and as you're thinking about Jesus, one of the things I love about the chosen is the way that it yeah. demonstrates yeah. some of the practices that Jesus would have um, practiced mm -hmm. as a first century Jewish person, yeah, yeah. His, his rhythms of prayer, yep. his rhythm, his rhythms of rest, his rhythms of, there's so many, yeah, oh. like all these sorts of things. Yeah. And, you know, those, those rhythms, you know, having an ordered life could be a skill, mm -hmm. but you can also break it down into skills concerning prayer, mm -hmm. skills concerning rest, yep. skills concerning scripture engagement. Yep. Um, all these sorts of things are things that they would have seen Jesus doing. Uh -huh. um, because they were apprentices. That's right. That's right. So when, when we think about these skills, I, I thought maybe a fun way to end the, the podcast is to just ask, is there a skill that you would like to learn mm. as a follower of Jesus? Because mm. you and I are learners. Yeah. Um, is there something that you have found particularly helpful as of late or a skill that you might want to learn from someone who's farther along? Mm. That's a super question. Well, I have lots of ideas because I'm... You know, skills, that, skills that, that I need to learn? No, that I would love to learn. Uh, <laughs> well, name one or two. Because so you got me, you caught me off guard. I, I love being caught off guard like that. One is fasting. Um, fasting okay. is something that I have tried in the past to varying levels of success. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this as a life group. I have always thought that it would be such a wonderful practice. And I think I may have read about this in someone like Jonathan Edwards or John Calvin to fast the day before receiving communion, just as a way of, first of all, practicing fasting, which mm -hmm. is a great skill and practice to be you know, connected with God in and of itself, but then to use that time to re really reflect yeah, and I love to really that. think about, okay, before I go, I don't want to enter into communion without doing some self-examination, mm -hmm. which is something that the Apostle Paul presents. I hate being caught off guard by communion, even though I'm a part of the planning process. <laughs> but these are rhythms that we have a part as a part of our Christian walk, yeah. as our part of our liturgy as a church, yeah. that I, I just personally could do a lot more to take advantage yeah, of. Them. That's good. And that's something that, you know, yeah. uh, I would love to learn how to do because you can fast in a way that's very detrimental to your health. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Multiple um, ways. Yeah. You know, I, I still can't think of something, but we need to end the podcast, but, but I'm going to think about that. Sure. That that question. I love that question, um, and I, I should have an answer. I, I just don't. But yeah. I, I will. One of the things, not to answer for you, but I know one of the things that you've done, like at other times during travels, is you visited like monasteries and things like that, mm -hmm. and learned from people who spend a lot of time in silence and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always enjoyed hearing your stories from. <laughs> I've learned some funny thing. things. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, but do you want to share one last thing or? No, that's good. I, All right, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm just wrestling with this question. I love good questions. Good, good. And that's a good one. Well, hopefully you're wrestling with that as well. You know, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we constantly want to be growing and learning and uh, taking opportunities to grow. And, and there's so many ways to follow Jesus. At, at Open Door, we, we emphasize, we love talking about discipleship skills. Mm -hmm. we, we like to emphasize uh, d devoting yourself to the word that looks like being in the word daily, receiving teaching from the word weekly, gathering mm -hmm. to for corporate worship. Mm -hmm. Corporate worship could be another one. 
could be its own, but we also talk about deepening your roots in groups, getting into community, practicing biblical fellowship, and all the things associated with it. We talk about doing ministry as a lifestyle. Service is a discipleship skill. Mm -hmm. These are the ones that we especially emphasize. We also talk about discipling others. We talk about developing understanding through classes. This is our discipleship process language. This is our way of trying to help folks just get started and, and get going on this discipleship journey. And and whether one of those uh, things that I've just described is interesting to you, if if you're not doing those already, I invite you to check it out because those are great first steps, devoting yourself to the word of God, deepening your roots in community, being a person who's doing ministry as a lifestyle, excellent first steps. If you found yourself doing those and you're, you're kind of looking for what's next, there are lots of great lists of spiritual disciplines that you can check out. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case, yeah. we always want to be asking, what's my next step? Take the next step survey. Go, yeah. go online. Oh, absolutely. Click resources on our website and it'll yes. take you to the next step survey and mm-hmm. identify what that is for yeah. you. Fasting, actually, I, I most recently began thinking about it as I was working on the next step survey because it includes that in yeah. some of the suggested action steps. So, yeah. um, Whatever it is, you know, let, let's be about this process of asking, what's what's my next step? Amen. And uh, right now, our next step is to wrap up. So <laughs> thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it's beneficial to you. Uh, we love you guys, and yeah. we want to serve you well. Amen. And so may we be people who are continuing to take our next step and uh, continuing to be people of the Word, continuing to have these conversations, trusting that God is going to use them to make us more like His Son. And so until next time we'll sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.